Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Straight cash, homie. Would you please break the damn story? He took it out. Oh, for you. It's a Friday edition of the PFTPM podcast. Haven't done a Friday edition in the past couple of weeks. Didn't do one on Black Friday. Can't remember why. Didn't do one last Friday. Frankly, didn't feel like it. Today, I decided that I would do it. All questions answered, assuming that I like them. But this is the format. This is the concept. You ask the questions, I answer them. There's a decent number of them today, so we're going to get right to it. There's really nothing for me to talk about ahead of time. I may take a detour from time to time. Week 15 is upon us. The Baltimore Ravens are great. Some intriguing matchups this weekend. We've done the joint PFTPM Chris Sims Unbuttoned podcast that makes picks and previews of every game. Picks against the spread, straight up picks for the folks who like to wager the money line. And off we go. PFTPM Posse has the first question, as he always does, because I follow the account. So any of the tweets that he puts up in response to my tweet end up at the top of the stack. And since I intend to answer all of them today, I'm just going to not scroll past his and do them later. I'm just going to go ahead and get to them. Now, with the ugly state of kicking this year, how many, if any, NFL teams actually employ kicking coaches? I never hear of them with so many games coming down to a kick. Why not? Especially when the overall cost budget for special teams is so small, relatively speaking. I don't know how many teams do or don't. I know that the Ravens have that dude that you see on the sidelines from time to time, the guy with the gray hair, because he did something years ago, and I can't remember what it was, but he did something that screwed something up for the Ravens and it made us aware of him. You know who I'm talking about? I'm scrolling through there. Oh, here it is, Randy Brown. They call him assistant special teams coach. He's basically their kicking guy. He works directly with the kicking group and he has coached five pro bowlers in Baltimore. And I'm going to multitask here. I can't remember what it was. Randy Brown, Ravens, was it a Patriots game? He did something. He was a mayor in New Jersey. I remember learning all of that. But I can't recall what it was that he did. Was it just merely suggesting that there was cheating? I think that's what it was. Something about the scoreboard, something about getting a kickoff in time. Billy Cundiff was the kicker. I'm reading from the CBS Philly story from January 24, 2012. This would be capping the 2011 season. Baltimore kicking consultant Randy Brown told Angelo Cataldi and the morning team today on WIP radio that the scoreboard in New England was incorrect during the final drive. The scoreboard was one down behind the entire last three plays from what we understand. That caused Billy Cundiff to have to rush on the field with just seconds left on the play clock to try to make the kick, which he missed. 
I don't think you can rule anything out in New England, is what Randy Brown said. So I think that's what it was. And I think the Ravens disagreed and just generally agreed that the guy was being a knucklehead. That's how we became aware of this guy. I don't know how many other teams have assistant special teams coaches that are only working with the kickers, but the Ravens are one, and they've got Randy Brown, and I don't think Randy Brown's responsible for Justin Tucker becoming a stud kicker. They just happen to find a guy who's better than anybody else. Next question. This comes from NFL Leads, a PFTPM Posse OG and Sky Sports viewer of PFT Live. Could, should the Buccaneers franchise tag Shaq Barrett at the lower OLB tag and apply the transition tag to Jameis Winston? Hell, maybe he can start helping out the Bucks D as much as he does the opponent's D. I don't think that what they do, if anything, with Shaq Barrett should affect how they go about dealing with Jameis Winston. The issue came up earlier this week. I think on the Tuesday edition, which we did on Wednesday of the PFTPM podcast for technical difficulties, I think the issue came up of... Maybe the best thing to do with Jameis Winston is use the franchise transition tag, not the franchise tag, because I don't think you have to worry about someone trying to nab him if you apply that transition tag, which only gives the Buccaneers a right to match and no compensation, but would save them three or four million dollars roughly in cash and cap space. That would be a way to handle it. Another way to handle it is just let him become a free agent. Just let him become a free agent, and he'll see what's not out there, and then you can just re-sign him. I, I don't know that anybody's going to want him. Between him, Marcus Moda, and Ryan Tannehill, all three hit the market. Who gets signed? How much? There's going to be plenty of free agent quarterbacks this year. Those three, Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, Tom Brady. It's amazing when you think about it. So, first of all, the Bucks have to decide whether or not they want him. And if you're thinking, well, we want him at, at our price, then maybe you really don't want him. I'm not saying that you should only want him if you want to pay market value, but if you're thinking about how we're going to game this thing and and keep him that way and transition tag versus let him hit the market versus, you know, whatever. If you want him, you want him and you sign him. If you don't want him, you don't want him. And there's that, that quarterback contract needing to look good enough so the player gets respect in the locker room. That's why Nick Foles got $88 million over four years, not that the Jaguars made the right decision. But the idea that for the same reason a lawyer needs to drive a Cadillac, can't be driving around a little crap car, you got to give your quarterback a contract that shows the proper respect so the locker room will know he's the guy. So I think that if the Buccaneers want to keep Winston, they need to give him a contract that leaves no doubt that this is the guy. And if they aren't ready to do that, just let him go. PFTPM Posse, you asked the same questions twice, man. You asked the question about the kitchen. Are you, are you feeling okay there, buddy? 
You doing all right? You okay? You asked the same question twice. With with the revision, which one do you want me to answer? I already answered the kicking coach question. Here's another one that comes via PFTPM policy from Valley Man 12. Who would you rather have right now? 2019 Nick Foles or 2018 Blake Bortles? Neither. Neither. Now, here's the thing. The 2018 Blake Bortles was not horrible, per se. And the 2019 Nick Foles never really got a chance to do anything. I guess I'd rather have 2019 Nick Foles and hope he doesn't break a collarbone week one and let me see what he can really do. So the 2018 Blake Bortles just didn't take, they thought he was ready to take a step and he didn't take a step. So they gave him a shove. This one comes from PFTPM Posse, originally from NFL Leads. I've always been annoyed by Randy Moss of NFL Network's name and why he didn't go by a nickname. How do you feel about NFL media writer Michael F. Florio, who's becoming more prominent? Can you trademark your name like Fitzmagic did with his nickname? You can't trademark your name. I see this guy's name come up from time to time. I hope people are smart enough to know the difference. He's a fantasy writer, and we don't do that. So if he thinks Michael F. Florio, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm the original, obviously. And if he thinks, I mean, what it's his name. Unless he changed his name to my name, what am I going to do? It's his name. I'm not changing my name at this point. T-Bone. From here on, I'll be known as T-Bone. As long as Watkins in accounting doesn't order a T-Bone steak right after I do. PFTPM Posse is a lifelong victim of the Cowboys who's distancing myself from 25 plus years of torture from Jerry. Do you think Cowboys victims would want to keep Ginger Clap even if he wins the Super Bowl? I feel the answer would be a quick and hard hell effing. No, if he wins the Super Bowl, you're going to feel very differently. But let me tell you this, spoiler alert, he ain't winning the damn Super Bowl. Jerry Jones is waiting for this fairytale finish. That's one hell of a fairytale finish. I mean, that's Cinderella, Rapunzel, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. That's all of them wrapped up in one if they pull that off. That's mythology, not fairy tale. Eddie Horse Sports, Titans franchise tagging Ryan Tannehill for a year wouldn't be the worst idea, but if they're considering a two- to three-year deal, doesn't the guaranteed money have to equal or greater than the quarterback franchise tag for him to consider it, or he is in beggars, can't be chooser stage of his career? Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, right? He doesn't have any reason to agree to anything until the franchise tag deadline comes and goes. After the franchise tag deadline... It's a different analysis. Before the franchise tag deadline, the argument would be that any contract you offer me has to be based on the franchise tag. Otherwise, I'm not signing it. And if you want to negotiate under a different context, we wait until the franchise tag deadline passes. You don't tag me. And then we negotiate based upon the market value, whatever it may be. And I don't know what his market value is because I don't know who else is going to be out there saying we must have Ryan Tannehill. I mean, let's consider the potential destinations. And to do that, I always flip open the inside cover of the record and fact book and look at the grid of the 32 teams with four divisions 
per conference, which Vic Fangio would like to do away with, which I kind of like his argument, even though I know they'll never do it. Bills have their quarterback. Dolphins, (laughs) yeah, I don't think they're going to be bringing back Ryan Tannehill. Patriots would be a possibility if Tom Brady moves on. Jets have their guy. Ravens, I would say, have their guy. Bengals are probably going to draft someone like a Joe Burrow. Browns have their guy. Steelers have their guy or the other guy. It's either Roethlisberger or Duck Hodges. And I assume it's Roethlisberger unless and until he has another injury, but they'll keep Hodges around. They have him under contract for a few years. Texans have their guy. Colts have Jacoby Brissett. I can't imagine them wanting Ryan Tannehill. Remember, they also signed Brian Hoyer to a multi-year contract. Jaguars would be a possibility, but they have Gardner Minshew. And with the Jaguars, it's going to come down to who the coach is. You could have a new coach there. What if Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, becomes the head coach of the Jaguars? Wouldn't he want Tannehill at that point? Maybe he would. And maybe Gardner the Ginsu. But you got a problem in Jacksonville because you got guaranteed money for Nick Foles next year. You've got Minshew under contract. I don't know what they're going to do there. The Titans, obviously, would make sense to keep him around. Broncos have their guy. Chiefs have their guy. Chargers would be a possibility, although there's nothing sexy about Ryan Tannehill, frankly, and they need a name that's going to move the needle. Maybe John Gruden. Maybe John Gruden goes after Ryan Tannehill. He saw what Ryan Tannehill did to him last week, right? Ryan Tannehill's better than Derek Carr right now. Cowboys have Dak Prescott. Would the Cowboys do something ballsy like that and let Dak Prescott go and sign somebody else? I don't think so. Giants have Daniel Jones. Eagles have Carson Wentz. Washington would be a possibility. No, they have Dwayne Haskins. What am I talking about? Sorry. Bears have Trubisky. Lions have Stafford. Packers have Rodgers. Vikings have Cousins. And, you know, if the Vikings don't make the playoffs, what do they do with Kirk Cousins? Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago while Cousins was in the midst of his hot streak, do the Vikings go ahead and re-sign him now? It's like, well, I think you want to see how the season plays out. I do think going into next year, look, I, I don't like the idea of a lame duck year for Kirk Cousins. If, if, if they go into next year without a new contract for Kirk Cousins, that means they're really not sold on him. If you're not sold on him after two years, then you should find a way to move on from him. And you're at least in a position... If you don't make it to the Super Bowl, not the Super Bowl, if you don't make it to the playoffs this year, playoffs, if you don't make it to the playoffs this year, he's played well enough that maybe you could peddle him to someone else and you wouldn't have to like give up a first round pick to unload his $29.5 million guaranteed salary. Falcons are stuck with Matt Ryan. Panthers, I guess, would be potentially a consideration depending upon what they do with Cam Newton because I don't think Kyle Allen is the answer. Saints are a possibility. Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill and... Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. The Bucks, who knows what they're going to do. Maybe Bruce Arians takes a shine to Tannehill. The Cardinals have their guy. Rams have their guy. 49ers have their guy. And the Seahawks have their guy. So I, I think that uh, those are the possible destinations. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo has done enough now that, that they're going to keep him next year. There was a, a stretch of the season where you could say that Jimmy Garoppolo is their biggest weakness. And the rest of the team is great and maybe they're in a position where they could move on from Garoppolo after the season. Remember they have that flexibility until April one to decide to move on without the bulk of his 2020 salary becoming fully guaranteed. They put that in all the veteran contracts that trigger that late trigger that gives you flexibility and allows you to take your time in order to make a decision about whether or not you're going to keep a guy. 
Need a last-minute holiday gift? O'Reilly Auto Parts has you covered. They have several options for gifts under $20, like a digital tire gauge, a 20-in-1 multi-tool, storage containers, or even a universal backup camera. Or you can get professional-quality power torque tool sets starting at just $19.99. And who doesn't love gift cards? You can even buy gifts online and pick them up in the store. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Eddie Horse Sports, Vic Fangio's schedule proposal is cool, except make it an 18-game schedule and you play division rivals twice. Never play the NFC except in the Super Bowl or the AFC, kind of like old-school baseball. Schedules are as close to equal as you can get. Don't use player safety. We know it's BS thoughts. I don't know that the schedule is going to go to 18 games. I think that it's going to go to 17 if it does anything other than 16. I, I like Vic Fangio's proposal for a couple of reasons. And the first is, I just like it when outside-the-box ideas get bandied about. Because I believe that, that through brainstorming and creative thinking, you identify potential ideas for improving your business. So I like it. The NFL is historically conservative, and I don't mean that politically. They don't like to change. Everything is fine. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they just will only make big changes when something about the current rules or systems or whatever blows up in their faces and make them look, makes them look bad. That's the only time they'll do it. And this whole playoff seating question, it's kind of blowing up in their faces, but they're acting like it's not. So there's no real momentum to change it because there's never been and because they're making it clear to everyone we're not going to do it, even though they should. And who's to push them to do it? I mean, what, what are people going to quit watching games? Is someone going to boycott the NFL because the Cowboys at 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9 and nine will be hosting the 49ers or the Seahawks? And the Seahawks are the last team to complain because they got to do it nine years ago. See, the teams like this notion that you, in theory, have a one-in-four chance of hosting a playoff game. Not just getting to the playoffs, but hosting a playoff game. And if you go with Fangio's idea, and I like it. I like the simplicity of it. Tear down the walls of the, of the four divisions in each conference. Put all 16 teams in the same bucket. Or maybe go two divisions. How about that? How about, ooh, ooh, man. See, here's the thing. When you come up with a crazy-ass idea like get rid of all divisions, maybe... Maybe you go with two divisions. Then the division champion presumably is going to be eight and eight or better. And presumably the division champion is going to have a record that, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe it won't be as good as the second place team in the other division. But if there's only two divisions and you're the best of eight teams, maybe that's enough to say that team gets the home game. That team gets the bye. It's a race among those eight teams, not just for a home playoff game, but for a bye. And then after the first two, the next four teams, regardless of whether all four come from one division, all four come from the other, two and two, three and one, one and three, yada, yada. That's how you do the playoff tree. Then you avoid the problem we now have. And I'm just spitballing this. So I may find an impediment as I talk about it. The next question becomes... How do you put together a schedule? How do you put together a 16 or a 17 game schedule with eight teams 
in a division within a 16-team conference. You've got seven games against the other teams in your division. There's no way you can play all of them twice. And I think the argument would be you don't play any of them twice. You play, let's say, well, let's play all of them once. That's seven games right there. Then you play half of the teams from the other division based upon where you finish. And it's a simple analysis. The top four from one division play the top four from the other division. The bottom four from one division play the bottom four from the other division. There's 11 games. That leaves you with five or six games. Then you got the other conference. You can play five or six interconference games. You can do the traditional four. You can have one team that you play twice, right? You can have a geographic rival like Vic Fangio suggested. You can do a lot with that. See, I don't know why we're so tied to the idea that we must play two games against the same team. Why do we have to do that? Surely that goes back to the days when there weren't enough teams in the league to fill out a schedule. So what are we going to do? Well, I guess we're going to play them twice. I don't like the idea of playing them twice. Home and home, got to have it. Why? Why? Why not one game per year? Ohio State and Michigan play one per year. It's one game per year. And if you have that historical rival that dates back to the days of divisional play or develops over time, right? Maybe it just becomes a great game and it evolves into a great rivalry. So I like the idea of doing something different than what we currently have because four teams in a division, in my view, is not enough. I like the idea of two eight-team divisions or, or no divisions at all. All right, let's see what else we have here. Tyler Furness, who is a better candidate for Coach of the Year, Greg Roman or John Harbaugh? Well, it's not going to be Roman. It's only going to be the assistant if the head coach is gone for all or part of the year like Chuck Pagano was in 2012. So John Harbaugh is the, the coach of the year. John Harbaugh is responsible for this team. Mitch Wisnowski. if life is a simulation, did Lamar Jackson pay extra for his in-game avatar? I'm not nearly tech-savvy enough to get that one. Mike Likes Dirt, which current NFL starting quarterback would be the funniest Dunder Mifflin regional manager in retirement, and why is the answer Philip Rivers? I think Philip Rivers would be a very good Michael Scott. I, I uh, yes. I wonder if I would have thought of Philip Rivers. I think Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr, well, ah. see, Philip Rivers has self-awareness. Derek Carr doesn't. Derek Carr would be an excellent Dunder Mifflin manager because he's that guy you can kind of mock behind his back and he's kind of goofy and he doesn't get it. 
says goofy things. Aaron Rodgers a little too sensitive. He'd be too vindictive. He'd be trying to get people fired all the time. He'd be sitting in his office drinking hey, scotch and Splenda. Gets drunk like scotch, tastes like Splenda. Dak Zeke Cooper, what does Sims think of the video of John Gruden roasting him for not being able to call the West right tight play in practice? We talked about it on the show before. I don't think he cares about it. He explained it. He was nervous. Gruden was making him nervous. It's part of what Gruden does. All about the 216. Why don't the Browns run the ball way more? Because Freddie Kitchens is their coach. I mean, Nick Chubb's leading the league in rushing. How much more running do you want? You've got Baker Mayfield, who was great last year. You've got Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. See, that's the problem. If you're going to go out and make the investment in guys like Jarvis Landry and OBJ, you got to throw the ball. Or you got to worry about OBJ complaining, as he has. Overholt, Sean, D.D. Westbrook, or Ty Hilton, PPR League. Just shut up. You know not to ask that question, Sean. Come on. Thanks for your support. CZ Wald, out of the pool of potential Super Bowl winners, is there a head coach you could see walking away as a champ? That's easy, Sean Payton. I have nothing to base this on. Not that that ever stops me. I think that this extension, in hindsight, may have been a genius way to kill any and all talk of Sean Payton leaving the Saints after this year to coach the Cowboys. Because if they hadn't done the extension, if they even have really done an extension, if they haven't leaked and broken and announced news of an extension... Every story about Jason Garrett being in trouble immediately would be followed by speculation that Jerry Jones will try to hire Sean Payton. Now, some of that has popped up recently, in large part because we've been pushing the concept, and i got to give Shereen Williams credit. She refuses to accept the idea that Jerry won't try to get Sean Payton. She thinks that Jerry Jones wants him. She also thinks the fallback is Mike Zimmer, which would be intriguing. He's under contract through 2020. And if nothing else, any interest from Jerry Jones could help him get an extension in Minnesota. But I think Jerry Jones is going to want somebody who can come in and hit the ground sprinting. He made some comments about college coaches today. I need to write the story at PFT on his 105.3 The Fan interview where he basically says, you're bringing a guy in from college, you got to have a learning curve. You're, you're buying that time for the guy to figure out the NFL game. I don't think he wants that. He's going to be 79 next year. He wants to win now. I think Sean Payton. Sean Payton is the most likely. And I wonder about Mike Tomlin. I just feel like David Tepper could make a run at Mike Tomlin. And I'm not 100% sold that Art Rooney wants to keep him so badly that he wouldn't flip him for picks. I don't know who Rooney would want to hire instead. I'm just not... I know that Steelers fans, for whatever reason, don't like the guy. I don't get it. He's doing his best coaching, and Steelers fans complain about him. Looking at some of these other coaches here. Andy Reid, if he wins a Super Bowl, I think he potentially would consider walking away. He's He's been doing it for a long time. I don't know how long he wants to do it. The question comes up for guys like Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick, and Andy Reid's either 60 or close to it. It never comes up for him. I'm looking at some of these other candidates here, and I mean, Pete Carroll, could he possibly walk away with a Super Bowl win? Belichick, I don't, I just don't, I don't, Belichick, it's so ingrained into his DNA at this point, I can't imagine him. So my first choice would be Sean Payton, not to retire, but to go to the Cowboys. And then the second choice would be Andy Reid or Pete Carroll. No, Andy Reid or Pete Carroll. I just don't see Pete Carroll walking away either. I say one, Sean Payton, 
and then two, Andy Reid. Just absolute total speculation. Aaron Schmida, looking at Lamar Jackson, I thought of a question when looking at college quarterbacks. Should we stop using the term pro-style quarterback when referring to quarterbacks that don't play in the option of the spread offense? What other way would you describe them if not pro-style? I don't know. I don't know. But the bottom line is teams have now accepted and coaches have embraced the idea that if you like a quarterback who is emerging from college, you should use that guy in an offense that is as close to the one that he used in college as possible. And the idea that you can't do the spread and you can't do this and you can't do that. If you like the guy, your best bet is to come up with an offense that gets the most out of his strengths and minimizes his weaknesses. And if you like him because of what he did in college, then what he did in college is probably what you should have him do for you. So I don't know. You probably still call it pro style, even though it would be outdated but it would be a reflection of the traditional pro-style quarterback, the drop-back pocket passer. Paul Silva, instead of giving coaches two challenges and a third if successful on both, should the NFL allow coaches unlimited challenges until they fail twice and then no challenges? Look, I just don't like this game of throwing the red flag. MDS and I were talking about this the other day, and my preference would be to have a system where everything is automatically reviewable, but, but it's only subject to review when... The scoring when the touchdown is a scoring play or would be a scoring play, but for an error of officiating in the ruling, for example, they ruled that a guy dropped a pass in the end zone. It should be reviewable that he did if the end result will be a touchdown or if the end result is a turnover or would be a turnover, but for the officiating error. And the last category, a first down or a play that would be a first down, but for the error of the officiating. And then I think you have one wild card challenge that can be used throughout the game because there may be a situation, let's say second and 20, you throw the ball one yard short of the sticks and they rule the guy didn't catch it and you think he did. That's something that should be reviewable. Now, how often is that going to happen in the course of a game? That's going to be up to you. When are you going to use that that red flag, knowing that all the other categories are covered, scoring plays or plays that would be scoring plays, turnovers, plays that would be turnovers, first downs, plays that would be first downs, and obviously final two minutes of either half and overtime. That's what I would do. CZ Wald, who are your top three candidates to be the Dallas head coach next season, and who's your front runner? Feels like you're thinking Lincoln Riley, Urban Meyer, but what about Riverboat Ron? No, I'm thinking Sean Payton. I'm thinking Sean Payton. And... I would say there may be interest, maybe interest in Mike Zimmer. I don't know. Ron Rivera, how do you not at least consider a guy that took a team to a Super Bowl when the Cowboys haven't been there since 1995? And also a guy, I think, who would go along with Jerry continuing to be the guy who sucks up all the oxygen in the room and does two radio spots and a 20-minute presidential South Lawn press conference after every game. I have no problem with that. I don't think college coach is the way that Jerry Jones is going to go based upon what he said today, unless it's all a misdirection or unless he's already tried behind the scenes to explore the college coach he'd want. So he's trying to reduce expectations. He's going to go after a Lincoln Riley because maybe he's contacted a Lincoln Riley and Lincoln Riley said, no, thank you. 
See, let's not be naive. Let's not be naive. There's a lot of conversations that happen through back channels. And it's very easy. You talk to the guy's agent. Hypothetically. Would Lincoln be interested? Agent talks to Lincoln. Calls back, eh, probably not a good idea. And leave it at that. There's ways to find out whether or not people are interested. And those calls happen all the time. You know, I respect it when a team like the Panthers this year, the Packers last year, fire a guy with four weeks left because they don't want to be looking for his replacement behind his back. That happens all the time. It's just not overt. It's subtle. So I go Sean Payton one. And then beyond that, I really don't get a feel for it. But I do believe that Jerry Jones wants Sean Payton. I do believe that. And the question is, when does he make that play? And again, a lot of that stuff happens behind the scenes. You know, maybe there was a deal done between Payton and the Saints that, hey, look, I really do want to move on. I'd like to move on after this year. But let's say there's an extension in place. Or let's do an extension where I have the right to move on. Those extensions can say anything you want. He may have an out in there if the Dallas Cowboys come calling. Peyton Zimmer Rivera would be my top three right now. Spitballing. By the way, let me share with you a message that you've heard Wednesday and Thursday if you've listened to the PFTPM podcast. And if you have, I thank you for that. This time of year, beware the perils of driving drunk. Obviously, you could get in a crash. Obviously, you could get yourself hurt or killed. Obviously, you could hurt or kill someone else. Almost 29 people in the U.S. die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicular crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. And even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives per year. And a lot of people don't realize driving while high is just as dangerous as driving while drunk. And with Weed legal now for recreational purposes and medicinal purposes in a lot of states. If you've been smoking, don't get behind the wheel. If you've been drinking, don't get behind the wheel. It's that simple. There's so many ways to get to where you want to be without taking the chance of getting behind the wheel of a car. And with Uber, everybody's got the Uber app or Lyft app by now. Everybody's got that. It's easy to use. They come pick you up. They drop you off. You don't even have to fish money out of your pocket. You just open your phone, you press the button, and the car shows up. And it's funny, as I'm telling this story, I took a little nap before this because I get five hours of sleep if I'm lucky at night, so I try to pick up an hour or depending upon what day it is and depending upon how tired I am, two hours, which I did today, which was awesome. I, you know, I drop my phone from time to time, as we all do, and I've got that 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 flat screen protector and a kind of a small case. And and when I hold my phone just right, I can see the beginnings of that, not full-blown spider web, but if you hold it just right, there are like four, five, six lines where, you know, the next time I drop it, it may get worse. I don't know what the specific context of the dream was, but I was somewhere in a strange city with my dog on a leash and I dropped my phone and the phone broke in half. The phone itself 
When I went to pick it up to inspect whether or not the screen had an obvious crack, the phone had broken in half. And I tried to piece hold it together to see if it would work. I know hearing about dreams is as interesting as hearing about fantasy football teams. But isn't that a weird one? I've never had that before. So I tried to cram the two sides of the phone together like a really you know simple and easy puzzle. And it just wouldn't do anything, obviously. It was broken in half. And I, I found a phone store. Now, I've got Sprint. The phone store I found was T-Mobile. And I remember thinking, well, T-Mobile's in the process of buying Sprint. So, hell, it's the same thing. And I just need a phone, so it doesn't matter. And I remember taking my dog into the store. And my dog is very friendly and very playful. And the dog, like, jumped on some guy who was sitting in a chair. And his glasses came off. And it broke his glasses. And I said to the guy, I'll pay for your glasses. And, and I think I never actually did. And uh, I ended up getting a phone. And that's all I remember. But I vividly recall dropping my phone and bracing myself to inspect the damage and realizing my phone was in two pieces. So anyway, don't drop your phone if you're drunk because you may need a functioning phone to press the Uber app to bring this all home. (laughs) Use the Uber app. Use the Lyft app. Call a cab. Make an arrangement. And don't get behind the wheel this holiday season or any time when you've had too much to drink. It's especially dangerous, though, during the holidays because that's when we're more likely to slide into this mode of nothing bad's going to happen. That is our genetic defect as humans. We think nothing bad is going to happen. And during the holidays, maybe we tend to let loose a little bit more. Be on guard for the worst-case scenario. And the worst-case scenario is getting behind the wheel when you shouldn't. Because anytime you get behind the wheel when you shouldn't, you play Russian roulette with your life and everyone else's. The worst case scenario isn't, well, I'll take my chances. Oh, I was unlucky. No, the worst case scenario is even putting yourself in the position where you're spinning the chamber, the revolver, whatever it's called. You know, when you do, you know, spin and click. Yeah, you don't want to even put it in position where you're spinning it and you're hoping that it lands on the chamber that has no bullet in it. That's brought to you by our friends at NHTSA. That's not the copy that they sent, by the way. I hope they don't mind that I just completely bastardized the copy. But you know what? I could read you the same thing every day. Or I can just, you know, tell you my own feelings about stuff. I think it's probably better that way, although they may disagree. Back to the questions. Mike likes dirt. The 2018 Carolina Hurricanes adopted the tongue-in-cheek nickname a bunch of jerks amid their playoff run. Which current NFL playoff contender best fits that description? That bunch of jerks came because I think it was Don Cherry who called them a bunch of jerks because of their on-ice celebrations, and they embraced it. Bunch of jerks. I don't know. I don't know who the bunch of jerks would be in this year's playoff. And you could use the you could use the term, I guess, meaning different things. The Patriots, everybody always thinks they're a bunch of jerks because they always win. But I don't know of anybody who's doing anything that, that stands out as annoying or jerkish. I think the Ravens are the most colorful team this year, but what they do is fun. The whole big truss, woo-woo, and Mark Ingram interviewing Mark or Lamar Jackson after the game last night, if you saw that. I mean, I just think the Ravens are the team that, that is having the most fun because they know how good they are. So I don't, I don't know that there is one. CZ Wald, all due respect to Freddie Kitchens, but does Ron Rivera make too much sense in Cleveland? Yeah, I mean, I, look, it's a no-brainer. Another year with Freddie Kitchens or hire Ron Rivera. Sorry, Freddie Kitchens. Yes, I'll do respect, but you got to go. We're bringing in Ron Rivera. That's a no-brainer for me. Without question. 
Now, I don't know what other changes the Browns may make. I feel like at some point there's a collision course that John Dorsey and Paul DePodesta are on regarding philosophy for building a team. And if you're going to keep both guys, you got to figure out which guy's broader mindset you're going to embrace. But yeah, Ron Rivera, absolutely. On tour forever, if you were starting an NFL franchise, what's the most important thing to get right from the outset? City location, GM, head coach, starting quarterback. Well, look, city location is the most important because you're going to have a bunch of different quarterbacks. You're going to have, although you would like to have fewer than more, you're going to have multiple coaches. You're going to have multiple GMs. Where you are is going to dictate so much about how successful you are because ultimately you need to be in a place where you're confident that your product will be supported, that you will have a fan base that will be with you through thick and thin, that will show up, that will have a waiting list at your stadium that stretches so far into the future you never have to worry about the tickets not being sold. So location is the key. Now, I don't know what the ideal location currently is that doesn't have a team, Is it St. Louis? Is it San Diego? Is it San Antonio? I still don't think the Texans and the Cowboys would ever allow a new team to be wedged in between those two cities. Is it somewhere in Canada? Is it London? But I think where you put the team, of course, that's not how it works. They don't hand out the golden ticket to somebody and you pick the city. The NFL picks the city because the NFL is driven by the same concerns that the owner of the team would be. We want to be in cities where the people are going to show up. You can put the teams anywhere and put the games on TV. You can put a team back in Pottsville. You can put a team in Dayton like there used to be one. Remember they practiced in Dayton. The Bengals did and A.J. Green hurt his foot there and he's not played all year. But it's location without question. Now once the location's set, I think... Depending upon how much power you're going to give to your general manager, I think that 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 I probably probably if a good co- if a really good coach is available, probably coach. I think that the coaching positions continue to be undervalued by NFL teams. I think they try to keep those guys down. They try to keep them from demanding more and more and more and more money. I think there has been collusion over the last 50 years when it comes to head coaches. Because you look at some of these quarterbacks, like a Nick Foles, $22 million a year. Would you rather pay $22 million for a coach, a great coach, or $22 million for a middle-of-the-pack quarterback who ended up getting benched for a rookie? I think the best coaches are worth a hell of a lot more than what they're getting. Frogman, also known as At Butts Wagner, I don't think it's possible to automatically review plays that would have been scoring plays, as you said this week. If a ref calls a runner down or out of bounds, the runner would only score because the defense stops playing after hearing the whistle. Thoughts? Well, no, it would be a situation where the catch in the end zone, right? I mean, I know there are going to be some where the play is over and it can't be reviewed after that. But there will be plays, there will be instances where you have a catch in the end zone that's ruled not a catch. And if that, that that's, so that you're, you're enforcing or reinforcing my argument because my argument is it's not going to take that much more time to fix this, to, to, to expand replay review, to eliminate the flaw that currently is in the machine. Because if I'm out of red challenge flags 
and my guy catches the ball in the end zone and i know he caught the ball in the end zone and the ball squirts out after he lands but we know that it was a good catch and some official says it was no catch even though the video evidence shows it was there ain't a damn thing i can do about it if he says it was a catch replay review can look at it regardless of whether anybody has a red challenge flag so there will be plays when that happens there will be plays whether or not the guy breaks the plane of the end zone if the ruling on the field is he didn't and it's not reviewable because it wasn't a scoring play well if you review it and determine that it was a scoring play then you should be able to automatically review it but there will be some i agree with you where guy steps out of bounds oh and, with, and so with Nikhil harry okay i mean i look at it this way if bill belichick could have challenged that play i mean the play ended. See, what will happen sometimes is the play ends, and then they'll say the ruling on the field is the guy stepped out at the three. You can review that and turn it into a touchdown. Now, if you step out at the 40, they're not going to let the play end and then say the ruling on the field is he stepped out at the 40. That's it. Once the whistle blows and the play ends, there isn't a damn thing you can do about it. So I get your concern, but I don't think it's as big of a concern as you believe it is. Ryan W., how much lettuce do you like on your sandwich? Do you really? I mean, I, look, I don't know. Do you think that's funny? Is that funny? Am I missing something? Like, you really take the time. I'm asking, I'm asking for questions. I'm taking my time to do this podcast and answer any questions that anyone wants to pose. And you think it's funny to ask how much lettuce do you like on your sandwich? I mean, I don't have the most well-oiled sense of humor, but I really don't think asking somebody how much lettuce they like on their sandwich is all that funny. Although the more I say it, it's kind of funny. I've been asked worse questions, sarcastically. And to answer the question, one piece, that's it. Just one big, you know, the big piece of leaf lettuce, whether it's sandwich, hamburger, just, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want a whole bunch of crunchy lettuce, and I don't like that shredded crap they give you at some chains where you buy the subs by the foot. I just like the one Give me one piece that covers all the bread and maybe hangs out a little bit on the edges for aesthetic value. And uh, so, so there, I took your sarcastic question and I gave it a legitimate non-sarcastic answer. So shove that up your butt with a head of lettuce. Edward Kong, load management has been a hot topic of debate in the NBA this year. Will that ever be a thing in the NFL, especially if when the season gets extended to 17 or 18 games? I think it's a, a thing during games, right? And look, we had LaShawn McCoy a healthy scratch from a Chiefs game earlier this year because they wanted to give him some rest. And load management is a thing for teams that clinch. Already the Ravens reportedly considering sitting Lamar Jackson for week 17 if they clinch the number one seed in the AFC. So I think it's already a thing. It's just there's not so many games that it just happens routinely. But you do have to consider when to take guys out, when to not let guys play. I mean, the whole idea of taking a guy out in a blowout, it's load management. It's risk management. That's the main thing. It's more risk management than load management. You don't want to get a guy injured. Next question, JR the boss man, will the potential change to the substance abuse policy to not test for marijuana come in the framework of the new CBA or outside the CBA? I think it's going to, if it happens, it's going to come in the framework of the CBA because that's the only way the NFL can save face here. Because the NFL just has to cut and run on this. There's nothing that helps the NFL under the current marijuana policy because the PR bump that you get from the reaction to the war on drugs and taking a hard line with marijuana use and and all the reasons why they put it in place in the first place, those are all gone now. 
So all you're doing is maintaining a system that requires you from time to time to keep good football players from playing football simply because they tested positive too many times under the drug testing program. That doesn't help the NFL, but they can't just throw in the towel. They need to, within the confines of collective bargaining, find cover to give this up. So the way you do it is it's just part of a new CBA and part of the broader give and take and push and pull and back and forth. The NFL has decided to no longer test for marijuana. I think that's how it happens. Outside the CBA, there would have to be a clear concession in exchange for it. Now, there may be something else out there that the NFLPA has that the NFLPA doesn't benefit from anymore and the NFLPA is willing to give up. But see, the NFL's position in a situation like that is, hey, no, we're not letting you give that up. We like it. We like it. It's become a benefit for us. So I'd have to think of something like that, that that NFL players wanted and got, and now it really doesn't help them, but also maintaining it doesn't help the NFL. Like the NFL would be happy to get rid of it too. Because the first thing I thought of was the funding rule, because that was put in place to protect the players back in the days when there was concern about the solvency of owners. You wanted to have enough money around so guaranteed payments would truly be honored. And that funding rule at some point became not a shield for players, but a sword for the NFL because the NFL starts hiding behind that. So it's, it's a shield for the, I don't know, shield, sword, whatever. <laughs> the point is the NFL started hiding behind that artificially to avoid giving out a lot of guaranteed contracts. That's when the NFLPA would like to have go away, but it started as a benefit for them. Isn't that weird? Hey, we got this benefit for the players and now it's become a detriment for the players and we'd like to get rid of it, but the NFL doesn't want to get rid of it. So it would have to be something that the players would like to get rid of anyway. It doesn't really help the players and the NFL would also like to see go away. There'd need to be some phony exchange like that if it happened outside of the confines of traditional collective bargaining. Gears of Ted, have you ever seen Jason Garrett talking into his headset when they show him on the sideline? Would he notice if it wasn't plugged in? You know, I've made this point a few times in recent weeks, and I don't want to jump on Jason Garrett gratuitously or unnecessarily, but I just wonder what he does during the game. Is he actively coaching? How often do you see shots of a Bill Belichick with his guys on the sideline huddled together, getting the defense ready for the next drive? And I know that you delegate, that's why you do it. But I really want to see someone who is more engaged. And look, if the Cowboys were great, it wouldn't be an issue. Because I don't remember a whole lot of shots of Tom Landry running around on the sidelines, pulling his guys together. You know, the, the classic shot of the head coach is the guy who's just standing there. On game day, there isn't much a head coach does. Not if you have good systems in place and you trust your coordinators. Now, if you call plays, that makes things a little bit different. But for the most part, you're there for the big decisions. Clock management, when to go no huddle, what you do when you go for it on fourth down, when to go for it on fourth down, when to kick a field goal, when to punt. That's what you do. You're basically glorified analytics guy on game day. JR, the boss man, do you believe Jameis Winston has done enough to stick around in Tampa beyond this year? Look, it all depends upon what they think their options are. Is there somebody out there that Bruce Arians thinks would be better? You also have to wonder, has the city grown fatigued with Jameis Winston? He's had some off-field issues. He had some before he came to the NFL. He had the incident two years with the Uber driver. He was suspended for the first three games of 2018. 
Has he worn out his welcome in Tampa? Gears of Ted, outside of Robert Sala, which coach that hasn't been a head coach before is most likely to be one next year? I don't know that Sala is a given. I think Greg Roman in recent weeks has become more of a given, a guy who hasn't been a head coach at the NFL level, and I don't think I don't know that he's been a head coach at any level. I don't remember him being a head coach at any level. I think that, that Greg Roman is the most likely. JR, the boss man, in your mind, who will be some suitors for Le'Veon Bell this offseason? I don't see him with the Jets next year based on how Gase has been using him. Here's the problem. He's due to make $13.5 million fully guaranteed, and he's not changing it. He's not giving it up. He's not going to alter what he's due to make. So who's going to take on $13.5 million fully guaranteed next year for Le'Veon Bell based on what he did this year? That was the impediment to a trade. He told me that. He was open about that in the comments he made to that 17 weeks is that what it's called podcast and then when we had him on the show a week or two after that he made it clear that was a big thing and he sat out a whole year to get that contract and he's getting that 13 and a half million whether the jets want him or not or not and how do you unload him i mean do the jets have to pay some of that 13 and a half million that that may be what they have to do if they're going to trade him Gears of Ted, should Ryan Tannehill be getting serious MVP consideration? Tennessee was dead in the water without him and now could be division winners because of him. He ain't going to be the MVP. He'll be the comeback player of the year. Even though he's really not coming back from anything or back coming back to anything, comeback player of the year, to me, implies that somebody was great and then he wasn't, whether it was in effectiveness or injury or whatever, and now he's great again. Being great for the first time eight years into your career is not really comeback player of the year. But I remember when Matthew Stafford won the award, I was like, well, what's he coming back to? Because he's never been great. And now he is. So he's comeback player of the year. So I think that's the award. Anybody who does not vote for Lamar Jackson for MVP should lose his or her vote for life. Because it's it's got to be Lamar Jackson without question. Pembroke Raider this year, Oakland, Jacksonville, Miami will have multiple first round picks. From trading off some significant assets, which team or teams do you think should do it next, excluding Washington because they are so dysfunctional? I mean, I, I don't, I mean, that that's too broad of a question. Hey, you should trade this guy and get another first round pick. Well, who are you going to trade him to and who's going to give you a first round pick for him? I don't think Oakland, Jacksonville, and Miami went into this saying, oh, we, we want to build for the future. Uh, although Miami kind of did, but you know, the tank thing went away once they started winning some games. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know that anyone should do it. I think the opportunity arises to move a guy that you don't believe is a strong part of your future and you can get a first-round pick for him, you have to consider it. If somebody approaches you with an offer that you can't refuse, you have to consider it. I'd have to look at each roster and spot the guy that could possibly be traded, and if he was traded, would he get a first-round pick in return? On tour forever, how do you feel about a 17-game schedule? If it comes to pass, it seems like it would throw off the record books and cause a lot of issues with player contracts. I, I don't think it would. I think they'd fix all that. They didn't have an issue with the record book when they went from 14 to 16. They didn't have an issue with the record book when they went from 12 to 14 or whatever it was before it was 14. I assume it was 12. I vaguely recall that it was 12. I, I don't, I'm not worried about that. It's all about money. It's a money grab by adding an extra week to the regular season. And I, I'm fine with it. I've come to terms with it. I, I think it's better than 18. I prefer an odd number of games to an even number of games. I hate 8-8. Eight and eight. I think every team should either be a winner or a loser. And yeah, you could be 8-8-1, eight, eight and one, but so be it. Most teams are going to be 9-8 and eight or 8-9 and nine if they're 
in that mix to be at or about 500. On tour forever, did Lamar just cement his MVP candidacy? Can anyone catch up at this point? I, I think it's I think it's done. I think it's over. I think you would need to have one of the guys who is on the fringes, the Russell Wilsons, Deshaun Watsons. You would have to have somebody who is close do something flat out phenomenal and historic the final three weeks of the season to take it away from Lamar Jackson at this point. Maz, which team has the worst home field advantage? What would be the Chargers? They have no home field advantage. Look, you you watch and see the images from Dignity Health Park. Is that the name of the place? They're going to be doing the skull clap. Oh, and yeah, yeah. It's it's got to be the Chargers. And Washington is getting close because people just don't want to want to go see that team play. So the fans are overrunning. When Lions fans are overrunning your stadium, when Jets fans are overrunning your stadium, you don't have a home field advantage. Mark Hicks, can you do a coach's hot seat list? Uh, I miss those days. You already left us old pro football talk fans cold with cleaning up the site. No more numb nuts, Mike Tice picks, etc. Yeah, I used to do the hot seat thing every week. I mean, it just it, we do it now more w- whenever we feel like we need to. Here's who's on the hot seat entering week 15. Guys who are in grave danger, grave or otherwise, is there another kind of being fired now or at the end of the season? We'll begin in the AFC East. There are no candidates that I believe are in danger of being fired because Adam Gase has already gotten his pass for next year by Christopher Johnson. In the North, Freddie Kitchens. That's the only one that I think is in danger of being fired. In the South, Doug Marone of the Jaguars. That's the only one who's in danger of being fired. Although, if the Texans fail to make the playoffs, I wonder what Cal McNair will do. I doubt that he's going to fire Bill O'Brien, but I think Bill O'Brien would be on a very hot seat next year if they fail to make the playoffs this year. So, so far, Freddie Kitchens of the Browns, Doug Marone of the Jaguars. In the West, I don't think anybody's in serious trouble. I don't think anybody's getting fired in the West. I, I pause at the Chargers just because I think part of this overhaul to embrace L.A. needs a coach who's going to be more conducive to L.A. And Anthony Lynn is just a... he, he Look, he's a great coach, but I want a little more sizzle out of my coach, out of my quarterback, out of everything in the organization if I want to sell to people in L.A. And I don't think Lynn or Rivers sell to L.A., especially going into that new stadium. But I like Anthony Lynn as a coach, and he's one of those guys where if the Chargers would move on, somebody else I think would snatch him up right away because I think he's done a very good job with a team that has been operating under very difficult circumstances playing in that 27,000-seat soccer stadium in L.A. In the East, obviously, Jason Garrett, Pat Shermer, half of the division – Well, it's going to be three out of four because Washington's already fired Jay Gruden. Think about that. The NFC East is going to have three new coaches next year, quite possibly, most likely. In the North, I think everybody is safe. Matt Patricia, there's been some noise about the Lions giving up on him, and that would be the ultimate Lions move. 60 years of dysfunction, and you're not going to give a major cultural shift a fair opportunity to get off the ground. That would be the ultimate Lions move. In the South, I don't know if Dan Quinn's doing enough to hang around. I get the feeling that maybe they're going to find a way to keep him. Maybe there's going to be such a mess with salary cap and you have to keep Matt Ryan. Maybe this is not the year to bring in a new regime because the new regime is going to have their hands tied. It's going to make the candidates for that job more likely to go somewhere else. Panthers have already made their move. And in the West, I don't see any of these coaches changing out. They all seem to be entrenched. So... Let me see if I remember who I identified. Here are the ones that I feel the most strongly about. Freddie Kitchens, Doug Marone, Jason Garrett, Pat Shermer, 
and I think that's it. That would be four on top of the two that we already have. That would get us to six. And, you know, there's always some sort of a curveball. There's always some sort of a surprise. There's always something that we weren't thinking about that happens. Whether it's the Panthers making a run at Mike Tomlin, the Cowboys making a run at Sean Payton or both. I'd keep my eye on something crazy like that. At the Moore Podcast, why is everyone dismissing the Patriots video story because of helmet communication when hand signals are still being used by the defense when the offense goes no huddle? Look, I don't I don't think it's in my mind it's not being dismissed because of helmet communication. I think it's being dismissed because this stupid incident like it's 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 too stupid to not be true. I saw the chart of the seat assignments at the Cleveland Browns stadium last week in the press box and the Patriots contingency two or three, however many seats they had, they were run one row in front of like 20 Bengals. So this guy's recording in Patriots gear, openly audaciously recording the Bengal sideline. And you got all these Bengals behind you. I mean, I just don't think that this was in any way intentional. Because it would be the stupidest way to try to cheat. I think it's just flat out ignorance. And of all teams, the Patriots, the one team where everyone connected to the organization in any way, shape, or form should know the sensitivity of cameras being used to capture images of the sideline. I mean, I'm told that it was just, hey, they were they were showing what this advanced scout does. And they were showing what he looks at. And that's what he looks at. And they were going to weave into this video. Hey, well, you know, we watched at the sideline for defensive coaching signals that he may remember, or why do you need to remember them if you've shot videotape? Playoff cap. What do you make of Stephen A. Smith saying he was involved in organizing Kaepernick's workout? Could he be involved in the next potential lawsuit? I I don't know that Stephen A. Smith... I don't listen to that guy. Look, I, I think that there's a subtle... How do I say this? There are some of these opinion makers in the media who act like they have these fiercely independent opinions, but on the big things, they stick their nose right into the butt crack of the NFL. That ultimately, when you peel away all of the the histrionics and the big words and the entertaining or otherwise delivery, they're taking a position that caters to the NFL's wishes. And most people don't notice that. They just view these guys as always having this, this over-the-top take, and it's entertaining. But, but on the important things that can get the NFL pissed off and or make the NFL feel very grateful. And I think Stephen A. falls into this category. There's people at FS1 that fall into this category. Where on the important issues, they align with the NFL. And I feel like, you know, it was Deflategate. Remember, somebody from the league office handed to Stephen A. Smith the news that Tom Brady had destroyed his cell phone. So he got that out there ahead of the league announcing it. So people had, so it kind of pre-smeared Tom Brady. And I think it was Troy Vincent because Stephen A. Smith and Troy Vincent have an old Philadelphia connection. And I think a lot of times you've got Vincent who is kind of stoking Smith to, to have a take that meshes with I don't know why, why would Stephen A. Smith be involved in organizing the workout? I've never heard his name. It's been three or four weeks since this has come up. And I talked to many of the people who were involved. And, and, and if, if, if the NFL 
had proactively involved Stephen A. Smith in that process, I guarantee you somebody from Colin Kaepernick's camp would have said, can you believe they've gotten this guy involved? So I don't buy it. This is just the guy trying to make himself more relevant than he is. He's already relevant enough. I mean, you're making, what, $8 million a year now? Just accept being as relevant as you are and don't try to take your, make yourself more relevant than that. Gears of Ted have Freddie Kitchens and Zach Taylor proven that you need to be more than just an offensive mastermind to be a good head coach. Well, look, that, that's been proven over and over again. It was proven by North Turner, and it was proven by Wade Phillips on the defensive side of the ball. That just because you're a great coordinator doesn't mean you're going to be a good head coach. And some coordinators are so good that they keep getting opportunities to be head coaches over and over and over again, like Turner and Wade Phillips. It's the Peter principle. Rising to the level of your incompetence. Brad Childress. In hindsight, I'm shocked that he stayed with the Vikings as long as he did as a head coach. He was never suited to be a head coach. Great offensive coordinator, great assistant, great teacher of certain things. It's a different job. Tony Dungy tells this story all the time. When he became the head coach of the Buccaneers, he's in his office. Somebody comes in and says, hey, when we play whatever team it was in the preseason, what hotel do you want the team to stay at? And he's like, well, why are you asking me? Well, you're the coach. Your coach needs to be able to communicate. Coach needs to be able to take a lot on his plate beyond football. And the coach needs to be able to delegate things that used to be the core of the coach's job to others. It's not easy to do. Uh, there's a question from Paul Benjamin Fitzsimmons Dose Dose, which I think is repetitive of what, something we did earlier. Um, and then Kevin Chaudhry with a classic line from Bad Santa. I used the Bad Santa gif about bringing you some sandwiches, and his comment is, what is, is it with you and the bleeping sandwiches? I didn't feel like dropping an F-bomb today. I'm not in that kind of a mood today. It's the holidays. And other than... Uh, enjoying Bad Santa, where there are plenty of F-bombs, and it is one of the all-time great holiday movies. I try to clean up my act a little bit at the end of the year. A little bit. I've answered all your questions. We're done. 70 minutes in. I also usually have to get this done by 4 p.m. Eastern because I have my spot on WIP in Philadelphia. Today, I'm doing it at 5.25 p.m. Eastern, so i got plenty of buffer. i got time to go write a couple of stories before I have to do my weekly WIP thing. I think they're doing it from the Army-Navy game or the site of the Army-Navy game or something, and they got other guests related to the Army-Navy game. So I got bumped back to 525, which is fine. It just gave me a little more time and, and less urgency to jam everything in. I was able to answer all your questions. Next Friday, I won't be able to do it. I'm at least telling you in advance. The Friday after that, we'll see. That'll be during the holidays. I may be hungover and or still inebriated on eggnog by the Friday after Christmas. But we know there will be a Tuesday PFTPM podcast, Week 15 Awards, barring technical difficulties and thursday of next week we will have the chris sims unbuttoned pftpm joint collaboration megapix podcast and we also do like a pftot that becomes pftpm on monday right after the show to clean up any topics we haven't gotten to during the show so i think it's been monday tuesday and thursday for the most part in recent weeks Sometimes a Wednesday, PFTOT slash PFTPM. So we're, 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 I, hope, I hope you're satisfied with the content that you've gotten. If I have to miss a Friday, I hope you'll forgive me for that. But I like answering the questions. It gives me a chance to think things through. The best idea I came up with today is this concept of two divisions. I want to flesh that out a little bit more. Maybe I'll write something to PFT about it, building on the Vic Fangio idea. So I appreciate it. The questions make me think about things. It forces me to like focus on, and you can, I think you can probably at times hear the gears turning in my brain and sometimes they get locked up as I talk through it. So 
enough of all that. And you know what? We haven't gone political in a while. I got nothing to say about any of the stuff that's going on in Washington right now other than this. I don't know why anybody runs for office. I don't know about why anybody wants to put up with that crap. Because it it th- there were multiple times this week where I just couldn't take it anymore. I had to turn off the TV. The fighting, the yelling, the screaming, the over the top. Like who are they trying to appeal to? On both sides. It's 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 it reminds me so much of being in court and being in litigation where your litigants, your adversaries, one side is representing one interest, the other side is representing the other interest, and they're 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 playing to the American people, and they assume it's so funny, like, and they do this on both sides. They act like the American people universally have agreed on very hotly disputed facts. Well, I think the American people understand this, or I think the American people believe that. No, they don't. That's the problem. And I don't think the members of Congress should be so over-the-top partisan in situations like this where it devolves to that. That's what I don't like. Boy, I wasn't going to do this today. But I think this is this is something that I'm trying to make nonpartisan. I'd like to think that in a situation where there seems to be a legitimate basis to explore the very important issues that are being explored. That, you know, the, the you never get a chance to do it when it's constant fighting, 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 fighting. And there never truly is a sense of a dispassionate, objective look at what really happened. But you know what? When Congress is going to have the power to impeach and then potentially convict, it, it is going to be partisan. It is going to be driven by partisan politics. And for a lot of these people... Their views reflect whether or not they believe they're going to be reelected based on which position they take. And there's still enough support for the president in a lot of these districts to force these people who are blindly and zealously and I think in complete and total ignorance of some undisputed facts, banging the drum in one direction and the other side is banging the drum just as hard and sometimes all the banging of the drum just gives me a freaking headache and i gotta go do something else with that said i gotta go do something else thanks for your support of the pftpm podcast and we'll talk again very soon The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.